You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. It's all really about access. It's all about access. It's all about access to who you know. And it's also all about access as to what you know, right? Because I would have never known that I would be interested in tech. I didn't even know that my role, like the role that I'm in today exists. Even the role that I took three years ago, I didn't know it existed. It's more the fact that now I was suddenly exposed to an environment where we talked about these things that I was like, oh, so these are options. That was my first realization. Like it's all about access to people and access to information. And then I also realized that we do have the skill sets in us and we do have the power in us. It's just about how do you communicate that? Hello, hello, it's Naomi here. Welcome to another episode of the Power of Why podcast, where I talk to creatives and founders about their purpose and how they navigate living on their own terms. As you know, I also package these episodes into show notes that break down the conversation, provide links to resources and people that we mentioned in the episode, and very practical ways to explore yourself and your creativity. So make sure to subscribe to the newsletter. I've dropped the link in the description box. Enjoy this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi, and today I am joined by the incredible Michaela. Michaela, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. I know this has been a long time coming since our mutual friend Fiona introduced us. And, you know, I think in our first conversation, we really got along. We had so many intersections between our stories. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. For some context for the audience, Michaela is a global solutions manager in the telecommunications industry currently located, and she's currently located in Montreal. She helps telecommunication companies across the Americas understand what is needed to drive their digital transformation in areas such as customer engagement, operations, and financial efficiency. She's also part of the Rwandan Professionals Network of Canada, where she leads community engagement for members to essentially be welcome to share their knowledge, you know, that is relevant to their roles and their industries. Mm-hmm. Um, Michaela also recently started a podcast called Jazz Avec Moi, where she aims to share the lives and stories of young African professionals. And throughout her experience, she's really realized that we cannot do life alone. And therefore, she always tries to bring together like-minded people so we could learn. And um, one really cool thing about her story is in 2014, she decided to move to New York City to fulfill her MBA at the Stern School of Business. And during this time, she also worked both in the Bay Area and New York. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for this episode, I would love for you to sort of share your your passion for technology and bringing people together and also you know, exploring what is out there, exploring yeah. the world, exploring yourself. And so thank you, Michaela. I appreciate it. Thank you. Wow, I sound so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so for you, what is your what is your origin story? How did you grow up? And what exactly were the things that brought you to to be exactly where you are today? Uh, that's a good question. So I'm originally from Rwanda, but I was actually born in Burundi because that's where my parents uh, grew up. Like they, they, were, they are Rwandans and they escaped in the 60s. Um, and so they grew up in, in, in Burundi as, as refugees and met, met in school and, and got married. And then I was born in, in Burundi. 
Mm-hmm. And after the genocide in Rwanda, that's when we moved back to Rwanda. And so I grew up there and then eventually lived in Germany as well, in Senegal, and moved to Canada for university. Lived in Montreal, lived in Toronto, then moved to New York and came back to Montreal. So for me, I guess my origin story is uh, surrounded by changes, you know, and I'm a person who's usually like risk averse, but life kind of just threw me in it. So you sort of have to adapt and go. So now I'm learning how to embrace it and recognizing that change can be a good thing and it pushes you to go further than you would have thought you would go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also being in so many different places and seeing culture, like cultural variety from a very young age, I think Mm -hmm. you do say you're risk averse. And, you know, I think it's just being conscious about the decisions that you make, right? But also not being fearful for taking a step and it maybe not working out. So for you, like you've made a lot of cool transitions and career decisions that I've been fascinated by. So you yeah. currently work in tech. Can you share a little bit about what you what you do by day and the stuff that you've been learning as well? Yes. Uh, yeah. So my title is a global solution manager. But what that really means is I sit at the intersection of product development and sales. So product development is the team that actually makes the product, right? So we have the engineers, the software engineers that are going to like code the product and make it. You have the product owners that are going to decide on the features and the functions, what we're trying to achieve with this product. Let's say if it's a commerce product, so we're building like a platform for websites online, right? For stores online. And then you will have the sales team that then has to go sell that platform to potential clients, potential stores. My team, Solution Management, we are at the intersection of, okay, so we have this product and we have these clients. How do we make sure that we are communicating what the value is for the clients? How do we make sure that we are really listening to what their needs are and making sure that they are embedded um, in the product? And uh, how do we expand our market? How do we discover what else is out there to see if we can either included in the products that we already have, or if we need to maybe go create new products or acquire uh, different types of products. So I'm enjoying it a lot because it brings together a lot of different things. A part of it is research and understanding what's happening, understanding what our competitors are doing, Mm -hmm. really understanding who our client is and what our clients want. So for me, I focus on telecommunications. So and telecommunications, there are a lot of changes right now going on, right? Like if you think of a Bell or Rogers or Telus, the, the world is changing and they have to kind of change and adapt with it. And so what do they really want and how can we help them? And then at the other side, looking internally, how are we doing saying, uh, do we have the solutions to actually do that? And if we do, do they know, do the clients know that we have them? And two, if we don't, how can we make sure that we have these solutions or, yeah, and how would we go about it? So it's been uh, really cool. It's been really interesting. And for you, you recently, I think at the beginning of this year, you moved into this role. Yes. Right. So you got promoted within uh, the current organization and you've been working there for about three years. Three years. Yeah, okay. three years. And so for you consciously, you know, when you started at this organization and, you know, you're solving client problems, uh, figuring out what they really need. And, you know, there's a lot of research 
the research component is super strong there mm-hmm. on a personal level how did you think about this is where i want to be and these are the steps that i need to take in order to get there so actually so that kind of brings me back i guess i'll take three steps back to how i approach my career um i'm a very curious person and i know what I don't like, but I rarely know what I do like. Mm -hmm. So for example, my first job, I was in retail, right? And that was because I had worked in retail stores before as a retail associate. And I didn't understand some of the choices of clothing that were sent, you know, some things I would see, yes, this is going to sell really great with how this store is doing. But some of the choices I was like, what were you thinking? What was the buyer thinking? And so that made me want to work at a corporate level in a store to know, to understand how they made those decisions. So that mm-hmm. influenced my choice to work at Target Canada when I graduated from my undergrad. Then when I was working at Target, I loved it. It was a great experience. But then I was like, oh, actually, I don't really like stores that much. So what else do I do? I liked the analytical piece. I liked the problem solving because I was an inventory planner then, but I just didn't care so much about retail I was like listen if the client can go at a target they can go to Walmart or they can go to H&M like there are other options out there so I didn't really feel called by by a store like that wasn't my mission so I was like okay so this is not working so what can we do and then that's how I went to do my master's because I was like well let me take a pause and reflect and figure it out and I really took a chance to try out everything. I worked for a nonprofit. I worked for like consulting. I did a consulting project and then I worked in tech and I was like, oh, maybe tech is the place to be. And then I was like, okay, but then what do I do in tech, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when I got my first job, so where I started three, three years ago, that job was kind of like a foot in the door. I was like, well, this might be interesting but it is a tech role and it was an entry level role. So I knew that I would have the space to learn and I would have, yeah, I would have the space to learn. And I was basically like, let me take this chance and I'm going to give it two years. And in two years, either I choose to stay and figure it out or I'm going to change and I'm going to go do something else. And the hard part about the, my first role is that within six months, I knew I hated it. <laughs> and that's a strong word, but I really knew that, I, like this role is not for me, but I also was still new, like six months in the job, like you're very starting. I was just finishing <laughs> my training. So yeah. how do I tell my manager, like this job is not for me when I just started? <laughs> yeah. So then I then started thinking to answer your question, not, I, I didn't start thinking of a specific role, but it was more like, what do I not like about this job? What am I missing? And I knew that What I didn't like in my old job is that it was very repetitive. I was basically showing the same product over and over again to different clients. So yes, the clients were changing. um, And that's how the story, I guess I was telling with the product was changing, but it was one product over and over again. And so I was starting to feel like a robot. And I was like, my mind thinks bigger than this. And I just felt really constrained and I remember telling my manager, and I don't recommend anybody do this, but I really told my manager, 20, I'm only working with 20% of my brain, you know? Uh, and she looked at me like I was crazy because she was thinking about it from a perspective of, are you underutilized? And it wasn't that I was underutilized. I was very busy. 
but I felt that in the scope of how I could think and what I could do, that I was literally just working with 20% of my brain because, and, I, and the 20% is figurative, right? Like, I don't, I don't think it's true, but I really felt like in the scope of everything that I can do and all the skills that I have, I am just leveraging one or two skill sets, but I have mm-hmm. these other eight skill sets that I'm not touching at all because the role that I am in um, doesn't allow me to, doesn't give me the space. And I'm spending a hundred percent of my time mm-hmm. leveraging that 20% of my brain when I could be doing so much more. And so like creatively wise, I was frustrated. I was just really unhappy. And at the same time, I was really good at it, you know? And so she didn't understand because she was like, but you're doing so well. <laughs> and I don't understand why you're so unhappy. And I think that's when you also have to know yourself because I was like, yes, I know I'm good at this, but I'm good at this because I, I have discipline. Like I don't want to produce shitty work even if I'm unhappy. So I'm going to still do a good job and I'm still going to go out there and do like, yeah, really well in front of the client. But it doesn't mean that deep down I, I, I really don't like this. And so mm-hmm. I just started talking to a lot of people internally. I got a mentor. She introduced me to a lot of people. I started to like apply on the download to a few jobs internally because I had then figured out that I did like the company and I wanted to stay. So now it was more like, okay, I like the company. I like the culture, but I really know this role is not for me. So what else can I be doing? And so I just started talking to people, started looking internally. And then when this job popped up, actually, I would have never even thought about it. Yeah. It was more that one of my other friends slash mentor because she's a bit older than me and she's been at the company longer she basically kept telling me like I know you and I know this role doesn't look kind of interesting on paper but I think you'll be a good fit at it just talk to them just apply just Mm -hmm. have the conversation and then once you have the conversation it's okay if it doesn't work that's fine or if you can always say no if you feel like it's not the right fit but have the conversation and I was like okay fine 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 (laughs) so I applied, had a conversation and I was like, oh wait, this is cool. I want to do this. And now finally, then I kind of fell in it and I'm like, okay, actually this is great because now I feel that I am using a hundred percent of my brain. And, and some days I will use like a certain, I'll be the analytical person. Some of the days I'll do the research. Some Mm -hmm. of the days, you know, I just have to sit and write a PowerPoint, but at least I'm using, I feel like I'm using more skill sets than I was using in in my old role. So I kind of fell through it through a combination of really figuring out what I don't like and trying to figure out what would, what do I like? And then just talking to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And doing that work because oftentimes you, well, not oftentimes, I think all like, this is the status quo in that we individual as individuals need to be looking out for our career and if something doesn't feel right where we currently are, sometimes it's not enough to just bring it up to your manager, right? And if you have a mm-hmm. fantastic manager, then great. Maybe they'll also support you in trying to figure out where best can we utilize your skills and your and your mind and your energy and all these things, especially if you do want to stay within the company. So that's, it's great that you took the initiative to really identify what you were looking for and as you lean into opportunities that speak more to you, I can imagine like mm. the energy too that you're bringing to the company and internally how fulfilled you feel working on problems that yeah. actually grow you as well. And so 
for you, you kind of skimmed over, I'm super fascinated why and when people decide to either go back to school or do certifications. And so for you, you were actually at a different company when you started applying for your MBA. I was, Um, yeah. And so what was the decision point to, you know what, I'm not just going to apply to schools, but I'm actually going to apply to schools in the US, you know, develop that further because it's, it's a completely different pond, right? At the other side of the border. And so for you, what were you looking for there? So a couple of things, like when I knew that I didn't want to be where I was, I started looking at what else can I be doing? And so I started looking at other jobs, but I realized that, okay, I was just an analyst and the options that were available to me was join a consulting and go be a consulting analyst or join another retail slash CPG type of company. And I already knew that I don't necessarily want to do this. I want to do something completely different. And I mean, being an African child, a random child, education is so important. So I knew that eventually I would have to do my master's and that it would take time and that it would be expensive and so I was looking at it I'm 24 at the time I was yeah I was 24 but when I applied I was like 23 I was like I'm 23 and I'm young I'm free like I don't have kids I don't have a husband so if I'm gonna do something really bold now is the time to do it because if I wait later um, I will maybe have a family and I can still do it but that becomes a different type of conversation Mm -hmm. so I really was like well let me figure out what I want to do And why the U.S.? Well, I had already studied at McGill for my undergrad. And so I was like, well, we have to go up. And (laughs) so having studied at McGill, I was like, well, okay, so I did McGill. I could go do a McGill MBA or a UFT MBA. Or why don't I go to the U.S.? And I was looking at it from the perspective of what will my resume tell and what type of network will I have? Mm -hmm. And so doing my MBA in the U.S. meant that I would have a different type of network, like I would have a network in the U.S., and my, my resume will now have a Canadian degree and an American degree. Awesome. It makes me more competitive. And why New York? I really wanted it to be a moment for me to explore. So like I was saying, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I want, something had to change. And I had a couple of thoughts in mind. I thought about going back, going into nonprofit because my parents work for the UN. So I was like, oh, maybe should I go in the UN like them? Because that's what I knew, right? Or should I, what, what can I do? And in New York, well, that's where the UN is. That's where all these nonprofits are. And I knew that if I went in a big city, I would have all the options to really mm-hmm. allow me to explore. Right. Because I really maximized my MBA experience. Like I, I totally did. So then I applied to New York. So I, I applied to New York. And the way I applied also was kind of like, I, I think I applied to three schools. Right. I applied to NYU. I applied to Tuck, Dartmouth Tuck, and I applied to Washington St. Louis. Um, mm-hmm. Washington St. Louis didn't accept me. Uh, Dartmouth Tuck kind of said, you're not ready. They, they were basically were oh, like, wow. we like your application. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, we like your application. We'll, we'll coach you, apply again next year, work on your GMAT, improve it, all of that. But your profile is interesting. Because it's, it's a very small school, right? Like Tuck is one of the smallest business schools. And so it's very competitive. So they were basically like, yeah, we kind of like you, but not this year. And then NYU accepted me. And it was the second time that NYU accepted me because I had also applied to NYU for undergrad. Mm -hmm. And I just really felt called to the school because one of NYU's mission, like their value statement is that they are, it's business for good. You know, like that's what 
the NYU Business School is about, Stern is about whether it's undergrad or MBA, their motto is that we're leveraging business for social good. And so that always called to me. And, and even when I got into my undergrad, I was like, oh man, I could go here. And my dad was like, no, let's go to Canada. It's cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> and, it was a family decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I wasn't paying that. So. <laughs> As a family, was like, nope, McGill it is. <laughs> and so, and he was like, you can go back to NYU when you're an adult. And I think for mm-hmm. me, I can like that as like, this is something I must do one day, you know? And so when I applied to business school, it was like, well, let me apply to these three just because once again, I just felt the, move, the need to move, the need to change. And I was like, I could wait until my application is perfect or let me just try and see what happens. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, okay, then I will go back and I'll take another GMAT test and I will really work on my applications, but at least I will have tried. Mm-hmm. And so then I went to New York and in New York, yeah, I worked like one semester while I was doing school full time. I was also interning full time at the Clinton Foundation. And that was my trial, my, 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 me trying nonprofit, you know, because I was like, okay, let's see if we like this. And I loved working at the foundation but I, I noticed that uh, nonprofits, you're always worried about the funding. You're always worried about where is the money going to come from. And I remembered that discussion sort of at our dinner table where our parents were saying how, oh, they need to go talk to these funders. They need to go talk to this embassy, to this government to get money. And I was like, yeah, I don't want that to be my life, you know, because at least in business, if your business model is solid and clients like your product, you will, you will always have like your business, or at least it will always run. Whereas for a nonprofit, if a big funder decides today that the cause that they are supporting is not uh, child education, but it's women's health, they're just going to redirect that money, right. you know? And then now you're out here scrambling to keep your project running and to keep your, your, uh, um, your people, your staff paid. And I was like, okay, well, that is not a, that's not for me. That's not a challenge that I want to have. Mm-hmm. And, and then, I was like, okay, what else do I do? What else do I do? And that's when I was like, okay, well, let's explore tech. And that's how I did my internship in the Bay, exploring tech and seeing what what can I do here? And that was really my introduction to the tech world. I didn't know anything about it. My internship was to help a salesperson like with her account plan. So basically plan how she was going to tackle her clients and figure out a strategy for that. And I was like, oh, so I can be in tech without being a techie, like without being like a a software engineer, you know? And I was like, wait, this is a whole option? And then it kind of opened up my eyes to this whole world of other roles that exist that support um, tech businesses. And I was like, oh, so where do I fit in here? You know, but then at the same time, I was like, oh, but I'm also interested in education. So how do I do this? So then when I came back from my summer internship, I did another a full-time consulting gig slash fellowship while I was in school, working on an education project, working on a CSR project where we were looking at how uh, it was a STEM project, how kids can be mentored and how they can see more visibility, they can see more people that look like them. So it was for underrepresented kids and how Mm -hmm. do we get them interested in in tech and how do we um, show them give them access to like uh, hardware so that they can play with it and they can explore what it is like using technology because they didn't have access to that. And so New York for me was really, what other city are you going to be able to do all of that in, in, in the space of two years? Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's 
true. There's a, there's, I think there's a little bit, a lot, there's a lot for everyone. There. Yes, exactly. And whether you're in fashion, media, tech, finance, there is a community and there are opportunities that you can definitely tap into. So when yeah. you said like you leveraged everything that was available to you, were these internship and these opportunities offered slash were they mandatory as part of your program or did you seek out and use tools like LinkedIn to to figure out what you could tap into essentially? Uh, some of them were offered as part of, all of them were offered as part of the school. Let me think about this. No, the foundation one, I just applied. Mm-hmm. I just went, I just went, there was another program that was offered through, through school with the Clinton Foundation, but I didn't get into that one. But I was like, ah, the foundation has so many internships. If I don't get it through the one that's partnered with NYU, fine, let me just go apply. You know, so then I just applied to one of the other external internships that were open to like everybody. And I got into that one. And then my internship, of course, that was through school because as part of the MBA, we all do internships, right? Mm -hmm. And the fellowship as well was through school. But there was always... Like there are just so many options, you know, you can just reach out to people, you can go on like job boards, you can go to like networking events, like New York is just, yeah, it's a city where there is something for everybody and that can be overwhelming, but also if it also then gives you the freedom to truly explore because you're not going to be restrained because there, that, because, because there aren't be, options. Yeah, it, because it will exist, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. And so for you through that, it was a two-year full-time um, opportunity. So you quit your job here. You went there for two years, explored, learned, um, networked, built relationships. And after that period, did you um, have the option to stay or were you thinking, you know what, I'm going to go back to Canada? Oh, no, man. Like, oh, my graduation was rough. Um, <laughs> so I graduated in 2016. and that was at the time of U.S. elections, you know. Uh, The thing with MBA programs is that you have specific times of recruitment, right? And for me, because I kind of went in exploring, I didn't necessarily align with the recruitment parts. Oh yeah, one of the other things I was thinking of doing was consulting, like management consulting, because that's the MBA path. Usually like the traditional MBA path is management consulting or investment banking, And if you want to do something outside of that, it's kind of a little bit out of the norms. So I felt this kind of pressure also, not by society, but yeah, a little bit of like society's pressure, like expectations, like you did an MBA, you're going to be a management consultant, but also because I knew I had the skills to be a management consultant and also you're paid really well, they will sponsor you, all of that stuff. So it was like the logical choice to do, the smart choice to do. So as I was exploring and as I was dabbling in other things as well, I was like, oh, maybe I should be a management consultant. So I was kind of also kind of casing, kind of interviewing, not fully committed, but just to say that I tried, you know. And um, But I didn't really try hard enough. Like the people who really want to try for management consulting, it's a lifestyle. They do that all the time. They case all the time. They apply to like 20 firms. They go to all the networking events. So I was kind of doing it like half-heartedly. So I missed that uh, recruitment window. Like I got a few good, really good interviews, but I didn't get a job. And part of me knows that it's because they probably looked at me and were like, this girl, she's not in it. I don't know. Life works some, some way sometimes. But what ended up happening then is that I was recruiting outside of the traditional recruiting cycle, which is I was basically just talking to people, just networking, applying to to jobs and such. But then the problem became that I wasn't an American citizen. 
and I wasn't a Canadian citizen either. I was like Rwandan, right? Mm-hmm. And so now the whole question of, are you going to get a job that's going to sponsor you um, so that you can stay in New York and, and, and such, like, what are you going to do? And that, because it was at the time of the elections, companies were scared, right? Because uh, people like Trump, let's say, were saying like, no more H-1Bs, America first, jobs for Americans. And so all of these companies that would have normally sponsored people would say like, oh, well, we can't sponsor you, you know? So that became a question of, Every time I would apply to a job, the first question, like the first interview, the first round yeah. would be like, so are you an American? Do you have the permission to work in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. And when I said no, then it was like, well, sorry, you mm-hmm. know. And for the two companies that do have companies here in, in, in Canada, they would be like, okay, well, look at the Canadian companies. And then because I was PR at the time, and they were like, look at the Canadian companies, and then we will recommend you. But of course, the jobs available in New York, like if we're like completely honest, like the, job of, the jobs available in New York or in the U.S. are not equivalent to the jobs available in Canada, especially if you look at it from like a corporate perspective, because the, the corporate headquarters are, in, are all in the U.S. And so you have roles like strategy, you have roles like, like products. They're just like a, a wider choices of roles, which was mm-hmm. why I went to the U.S. in the first place. Whereas here in Canada, most companies, it's like you're part of the sales team, you're part of the marketing team, and maybe sure, like you're going to be part of like the software engineering. But really, if you want like those corporate strategy roles, they're not going to be here unless it's a Canadian company. And we know that we don't have a lot of Canadian tech companies. Anyways, so then I couldn't get a job, Naomi. I I could not get a job. And I was like, okay well, let's hang in here and try first. Because I was like, I have a great resume. Like, I don't understand. So I was there. I graduated in May 2016. And I was there until December, until the elections. Because until then, I was like, oh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Like, there is still hope. In November, I was like, there is no hope. Time to pack up and go home. (laughs) Uh, And so then I came back. I came back to Montreal. And um. I was like, okay, well, this was a complete fail, like a horrible was it fail. No, I don't think. No, so. it wasn't. Like now, I now I know it wasn't. But at the time, honestly, Naomi, I was like, I just messed up my life, and I have all these loans. I have no job, and now I'm back in Montreal, where I will get no like good job. I just felt like it was the end of the world. Like honestly, truly. So, I was like, okay, we're gonna take December and reset. So December, I don't think I applied to a job, but just kind of just stayed home, like depressed. Um, and then January, I was like, okay, 2017, we can do this. Like, let's, mm-hmm. let's do it, you know? And I started applying to like other jobs and jobs and jobs. And then a lot of the jobs, which was why I was like, this is exactly what I didn't want. A lot of the jobs that I was getting called for were like retail jobs, like analyst jobs or inventory jobs. And I was like, no, I did not go the whole MBA, spend all this money to go back to the job that I was doing before right. this. Like, that mm-hmm. is not the point. Like, let's wait. And then in March, that's when I got my, like, my first job where I work now. And I was like, okay, this is not exactly what I wanted to do, but it's a foot in. It's, it's at least tech. I'm going to get experience. I'm going to get trained. And I'm going to learn. And then we're going to go from there. That's what happened. I, mm-hmm. I got that. I was like, okay, let's do this. At the time, I was really upset because I knew I was kind of like a bit overqualified for the job. But I was like, Michaela, reel in your ego a little bit. Like, just do it. And then 
you will figure it out. And that's how I started my first role. And that's the one I told you in six months, I knew like, I can think more than this, but I just needed, by that time I had been out of school for almost a year. I just needed a job and I just needed to start doing something because I couldn't be at home anymore. And, Mm -hmm. And that's, I guess that's what I did. I guess this year, 2020, I figured it out. But Naomi, it took me four years, girl. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, know what's interesting, you know, listening, and thanks for providing that context in terms yeah. of, you know, what were the moving pieces and steps and decisions that you made to even be in this current position, right? And so yeah. I think sometimes you do need to take a step back in order to take two steps forward yeah. in your career, in your personal life, and, you know, in life in general. And so when you came back and you said, this is a complete failure, I mean, you were half, I feel like you were half joking, but at the same time, that was probably how you were feeling and the emotions that were going through your head and things didn't necessarily go as planned, but there was a bigger plan in place you know? Yeah, for sure. So, so good for you for continuing on that, on that journey and coming back home and reprioritizing. And even if it wasn't necessarily the role that you were looking for, it led you to the one that you're currently in. So that's really, that's really incredible. Or besides the career, how have you seen exploration? You work with currently with the Rwandan Professionals Network of Canada, and you also started Jazz Avec Moi, which is a podcast. How have you been intentional about the ecosystem besides your work? Yeah. So one of the biggest realization for me when I went to do my MBA was that, uh, how do I put this, was that it's all really about access. It's all about access. It's all about access to who you know. And it's also all about access as to what you know right? Because I would have never known that I would be interested in tech. I didn't even know that my role, like the role that I'm in today exists. Even the role that I took three years ago, I didn't know it existed. It's more the fact that now I was suddenly exposed to an environment where we talked about these things that I was like, oh, so these are options. That was my first realization. Like it's all about access to people and access to information. And then I also realized that we do have the skill sets in us and we do have the power in us. It's just about how do you communicate that? Are you communicating it in a way that is going to resonate with what the person in front of you is going to understand, you know? And so for me, being involved with the Run and Professionals Network is because I know that we have a lot of talent and I know that we have a lot of people and we just need to get them to first talk to each other because you know life here is so busy right so we will like go to work come home go to work come home but it's like how can we connect people so that they can share and exchange information so one of the things we're trying to do this year is start like a community of practice where it's like yes we're Rwandans but can we be Rwandans like that work as project managers and so we have them together and they can share information and they can like share tips how and how they can succeed in their roles what if we get like all the nurses together what if we get like all the accountants together. So how can we get people to cross-share knowledge that they have so that they can realize that we do know more than we think we do. And also maybe we can sort of empower each other and like make our networks bigger and, and in the general like Montreal ecosystem or Canadian ecosystem, introduce each other to more opportunities and more roles that me, let's say me, Michaela, as a person, I might not have time to know about, or I might not have the access, like I might not know the mm-hmm. right people, right? But maybe somebody else knows the right people and can introduce me. 
So that's one of the things. And and it kind of then also goes into the podcast, right? Uh, why I started Jazavik Moi. One was to just, yeah, showcase the stories of different African people doing different things. Because once again, I didn't know. So it's like, you could be an actuary, you could be a DJ, you could be a nurse, you could go design, like you could do, be, go be like a UX designer. You could do, like there are so many things that we could do, but we just don't know people that look like us that do it, you right. know? And so that's kind of what I'm trying to showcase. It's like, no, it's a role that like you could do if you you knew about it and if you knew where to get access to that information. And then the second purpose is to also show that we are are not alone, you Mm know, Um, and that even though, yes, we might be like few and far in between. So like, let's say in my job, there's not a lot of African people, let alone a lot of a lot of black people so it's like yeah maybe me i'm a minority in, in in my company and probably there's another person who's a minority in their companies but if we come together then we can kind of create like a support system where we can once again share information and share tips and tricks and just feel a little bit less alone i guess mm-hmm. that's the point yes i like the i like the unity message for sure yeah and it's not just a conversation about your role and the work that you do but it's also maybe the challenges that you face and Mm -hmm. the lessons that you learned along the way. And with that being said, what is, Michaela, what is one belief that really took you the longest to put in in practice? Specifically, like it could be at the start of your career, it could be even now or your experience in New York, but what's something, the belief that took you the longest to put in practice? Um, I think that I could just do it, you know? I think like a lot of driven people self- um, sabotage <laughs> yeah so self, with self-sabotage yeah. right and we expect yeah I definitely do a lot of self-sabotage I'm working on that but I also have a lot of doubt like imposter syndrome is real right and I think now I'm, I'm starting more and more to accept like just do it you know and I think now it's probably because I've tried a lot and I realized like okay not everything works out but it will work out somehow or maybe mm. it didn't work out because it wasn't supposed to work out that way right but just do it. Like I, like I, I get in my head and I will like think about things 50,000 times. And by the time I put it in action, maybe it, it lost its relevance or at least it wouldn't have been as powerful as if I just released it when it was supposed to be released. You know what I mean? Interesting. So, yeah. So I'm just, yeah, the belief that I could just do it without, yeah, without doubting myself, without yes. like double checking, without doing 50,000 things, like just do it, you know? Hmm. That really, I think that really speaks to a lot of the stuff that you've been able to accomplish. Yeah. You step forward without having necessarily all of the answers, right? Yeah. And I like the way that you painted that the plan didn't always go accordingly, but it unfolded the way that it was supposed to. And I'm just so proud of everything that you've done because they're not easy decisions. And, you know, in conversation with a lot of individuals, it seems like, you know, we have these dreams or we have these questions and we just bury it. Yeah. But I can, I can appreciate how you've, you've acted on those dreams and whatever you had imagined in your head. So this is really powerful, I think. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, one of the last questions uh, before we head into our final power of why one is, yes. um, you know, I, I'm of the belief that fulfillment comes from doing what you love, but also contributing, right? Contributing to mm-hmm. society, contributing to your community, to the world at large. And so for you, 
what, like, how do you think of being in service through and in your why? Hmm. So for me, I think of it as there are so many people that have influenced me, that have coached me, that have encouraged me. It would not be fair, like it would not be right for me to just hug onto that and not share it, you know. And I really truly believe once again, having like moved a lot and having seen different things that I am not more special than the other person. I just had access to some opportunities that the other person might not have had access to. So what can I do with that? Like me telling you, Naomi, or telling anybody else like, oh, you should do this instead of that, or like reviewing your resume or coaching you through an interview. It doesn't take anything away from me. Like, so I look at it as I've acquired all of these skills and I've acquired all of this knowledge, whether it was, like you said, whether it was through pain or through mistakes mm-hmm. or through paying an expensive ass school <laughs> to do it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've acquired it and I have it. So why can I not share that so that the next person doesn't have to suffer through it? Mm-hmm. You know, like if you, I've made some like mistakes, like some networking mistakes where I've botched a, co- a coffee call. I wasn't ready for it. Or I showed uh-huh. up to a networking event or to meet somebody and they had given me their time of day and I was just chilling. I had no question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like little things where I look at it now and I'm like, Michaela, what were you thinking? You know, right. but, but I didn't know better, you know? And mm. so for me, it's like, well, if I can teach someone or coach someone through it so that they don't make that mistake and maybe they are going, or maybe like, I don't know, it, it, could, have, it could be a stepping stone. It could be the moment that changes somebody's life or changes their, yeah, their, their trajectory. So for me, because I know like I've always had mentors, whether they were like official mentors or not official, but people who have kind of guided me along and given me encouragement and given me coaching. It's like, yes. Let me also do that for for somebody else because it some things sometimes there are things I don't even remember about, but the person remembers it just because I was open enough to share to share it in that moment. So mm-hmm. that's how I that's how I look at it. Like service doesn't have to even have to be like a big thing. It just has to be like share what you have and what you know. You know, right, right. I think that you've brought up the access piece, um maybe like four or five times throughout this conversation Mm -hmm. and so you know what what does access necessarily mean for you and how has that definition sort of evolved because part of the reason why I think even with one decision that you've made of going to the U.S. it opened up a lot of these doors that wouldn't necessarily be accessible to you in in Canada or in Montreal or whatever city that you're located in and Mm -hmm. so how has your perception of access changed in the past like six years oh man hmm. yeah I feel strongly about access uh, because the world is not fair <laughs> I think that's like the idealistic person in me the world is totally not fair man like I truly believe and I guess like already just looking so I'm from Rwanda just looking at some of the choices that my parents have made mm-hmm. and comparing them I guess to the people that I grew up with, you know, whether it was like my direct family or like my friends and like the way that our lives have evolved differently, like on the same path, but we're all living our different lives, whether we're like here or in Rwanda or anywhere else in the globe, much of it is driven around the choices that you make and the choices that you make are driven by the access that you have 
to information to opportunities right mm -hmm. that's why all these people move here that that's why my parents were like you guys should go live in canada like you should go study in canada versus study anywhere else it's because they knew that by us living here and, and and working here we would have access to more opportunities access to more jobs you know the same way that now i look at it i'm like oh yeah canada is great but actually there are more jobs in the u.s And now it's the question of what lifestyle do I want to live? What am I willing to sacrifice to live here versus live there? But the reason of why I feel so strongly about access is that it truly is not about a person's intelligence. It's not about a person's, yeah, it's not about a person's intelligence because I feel like people who are more fortunate or who are more privileged, and I am one of them, we like to think it's because like, oh, we worked hard for it. Or mm -hmm. it's because we we are smart, we're, we're smart. And it's because of X, Y, Z reason, right? Like if you look at all of the, yeah, if you look at what's happening in the world, right? But it's not just about that. Yes, we work hard. Yes, we are smart. But we also had access to some things that some other people didn't have access to. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I feel so strongly about it because I look at my life and I'm like, it could have turned a completely different yeah, way if true. I had been born from other parents, mm -hmm. you know? So. That's why for me, I'm always like, okay, how can I help the other person have access <laughs> to other mm -hmm. things that I might have access to? Because it's not that I'm better than anybody else. It's more that I'm here and I'm trying to do what I can with what I have. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. And such a great way to sort of end the conversation in this episode and also have people think about how they can build relationships, how they can work on, develop their personal brand so that they are, they have more access to certain communities or networks or cities. And I think too now, especially with the internet, yes, I think when, when you're able to not think of things like competition, but when you're able to differentiate in a specific area mm. and create opportunities for yourself that may not be there right now, and do a lot of outbound reaching to people who are in different cities, then you can create things that from nothing, you know, you can create things from where you currently are. And so I think this, this perspective is super, super valuable. Mm -hmm. And um, for the last question, Michaela, what is your why? What's your personal why? You know, when things are not going the way that you necessarily planned, or you feel uninspired, what is the reason that you keep going? Hmm. Yeah, I think a whole conversation kind of led to this moment, right? Mm. Uh, for me, my why, like, why do I do what I do? I would say it's just so the next person after me doesn't have to go through it, you know, like, and I think that comes from, I guess, living abroad and changing and seeing how we all see the world differently and just being constantly on the move. I realized that at the end of the day, we all want to be understood and we all want to be loved and we just want to feel fulfilled in our lives, you know? Mm -hmm. So my why I would say is to help people find that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that it starts first by with ourselves, right? So if I am not fulfilled, I definitely can be telling you how to be fulfilled, you know, because I'm going to be probably angry and depressed with you. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's an important thing, starting from, starting from within, you know? Yeah, exactly. Starting from important. within and thinking of how can I live a, high, a life where I feel fulfilled, where I feel 
like I'm happy and actually happy is elusive, but where I feel fulfilled and how can I then help you or help whoever um, listens to me or follows me or is in my environment feel fulfilled in their lives as well. And I think for me, I focus more on, I like to focus more on the like career part, but it's because we spend half of our lives at work. And so if you're not fulfilled in your work and that's where you spend half, half of your life, how are you going to live a fulfilled life? I think I struggle with that question a little bit. Overall, it's about how can we live more fulfilled life and how can I help you achieve that? That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Michaela. Thank you for everyone for listening to the Power of Why podcast. Um, if you want to connect with Michaela, all of her links will be in the show notes that you can visit at naomihyland.com. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you, Naomi. This was great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find the show notes at naomihiley.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to The Power of Why on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I look forward to you listening to next week's episode. Bye.